This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Need basic information on legal rights on topics like employment, consumer or tenancy issues? Then join Luke and Julia on Lawfully Speaking, next on Plains FM 96.9. Welcome to another episode of Lawfully Speaking with Luke. Today we're going to be talking about uh, dividing up your property when you split up. Uh, so this is uh, specifically relationship property. Last time we were talking about uh, family law topics um, and kind of how to how to go about um, a breakup and how, how to make that, um, I suppose, uh, official uh, from a legal standpoint. We're going to be talking about that um, the relationship property and the relationship property um, Relationships Act, uh, 1976. Um, this specifically deals with how the property or married couples or civil union partners and de facto couples is divided when a relationship ends. The act covers the relationships ending because of a breakup, but can also cover relationships ending because of death or a spouse or a partner. So the purpose of the act is to recognize the equal contributions of both partners to their relationship and to provide for a just division of property when the relationship ends. Taking into account the interests of their children, the general presumption of the act is that couples' properties will be divided equally between them. Um, There are exceptions to this rule. However, in particular, there are different rules about how property is divided, whether relationship has um, lasted less than three years. So quickly, we're going to cover who's covered by the Relationship Properties Act. So this is kind of, again, again, telling us whether the rules in that act are going to apply to you and your ex-partner depends on the type of relationship it was and how long you were together. So couples who have been together three years. So married, civil union, and de facto couples who have been together for at least three years are covered by the equal sharing rules in the Act. This means that family, home, car, furniture, and appliances will usually be shared equally between them. All right, so short-term marriages and civil unions are covered. So married and civil union couples who have been together less than three years are covered by the Act. But in some cases, the family, home, car, and so on may be divided according to each person's contributions to the relationship, including non-financial contributions. Um, And this is rather than being shared equally as normal. So short-term de facto relationships are usually not covered. So de facto couples who have been together for less than three years usually aren't covered by the act at all. This means that the ordinary rules of property ownership will decide what each person is entitled to. There are some exceptions to this, and um, for this information uh, about exactly what a de facto relationship is under the Property Relationship Act, um, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. So it's important for us to know before we move on that you can make your own agreement. In the first instance, it is up for a couple to decide how they will divide the relationship property. If they can agree on how they will divide the relationship property, they can do this without having to follow the rules of the Property Relationship Act and without having to go to court. However, any agreement must be in writing and must 
meet the various legal requirements, um, including that the parties each get independent legal advice. So this is, again, if you want to make that um, a a binding agreement about the the division of that relationship property, you, you can do so. So principles of the Property Relationship Act. The law relating to the division of relationship property is guided by three general principles. Men and women have equal status, and their equality should be maintained and enhanced. All forms of contribution to relationship are treated as equal. This means non-financial contributions, such as caring for children, are valued equally with financial contributions, such as working for a wage. A just division of relationship property needs to take into account any economic advantages or disadvantages to a spouse or partner as a result of the relationship or as a result of the ending of the relationship. Relationship property issues should be resolved as inexpensively, simply, and quickly as consistent um, with justice. All right, so just as we mentioned a little bit earlier, we're going to be talking about what is a de facto relationship um, under the Property Relationship Act. So for the purposes of the Relationship Property Act, a de facto relationship is a relationship between two people, whether of different sexes or the same sex, who are both aged over 18 years and are living together as a couple but not married or in a civil union with each other. So when deciding whether two people are living together as a couple, a number of factors will be taken into account. Um, I'm just going to kind of list these factors now. Uh, The length of the relationship, whether the parties are living in one house, whether they have a sexual relationship, the degree of financial dependence or interdependence, how property is owned, used, and obtained in that relationship, the degree of commitment to a shared life, the care and support of any children, the performance of household duties, the public image of that relationship. So whether is a de- whether a defect relationship in terms of the property is a one in terms of the property relationship act, and if there is on what date it began, will be a question of fact for the court to decide. The court decides the two people are in a de facto relationship. There's in there is then the question of what rules will apply to the division of the property. The act will usually only apply to de facto couple if they have been together for at least three years, as we mentioned earlier. So we're going to talk about short-term relationships really quickly and when the act applies. So under the Property Relationship Act, a relationship of short duration is one that lasts for less than three years. In some circumstances where the court considers it um, just, a longer relationship can also be considered to be of short duration. Marriages and civil unions of short duration are covered by the Act, but special rules will apply to them. So de facto relationships of a short duration are usually not covered by the Act unless there's a child of the relationship or one party has made substantial contributions to the de facto relationship, um, including non-financial contributions again. And the court also has to be satisfied that the failure to make an order would result in serious injustice. So in circumstances where a relationship of short duration is covered by the Property Relationship Act, special rules will apply to the vision of a relationship property. So um, what if a couple live together before their marriage or civil union? In terms of working out the length of the relationship, a de facto relationship that immediately precedes a marriage is treated as if it were part of the overall length of the marriage relationship. Similarly, 
If a married couple were in a civil union before they got married or the other way around, the length of the relationship for the purposes of the act is the total of both. Now we're going to be talking about classifying and valuing relationship property as, um, again, that we've been talking about um, so far. So what's relationship property and separate property? There's going to, again, be the two different type of categories that, um, that are going to be relevant to us here. So what is relationship property? Relationship property is the property that must be divided between the parties when the relationship ends. Relationship property will usually include the family home uh, and chattels, including the family car, household furniture and effects, and anything else owned by the family or used for family purposes. These are usually considered relationship property regardless of who paid for them or when they were acquired. So it's just kind of important to keep that in mind that those factors of um, who paid for them or how they were acquired won't be, um, again, won't, won't, won't be something the court's super concerned with. So family businesses and investments, um, the general rule is that any business used to produce family income and any savings or investments made out of family income are treated as relationship property as well. So property only owned jointly or in equal shares by the spouse or partners will be considered relationship property. Property acquired during the relationship, again. Property acquired in contemplation of the relationship and intended for common use or common benefit. Contributions to superannuation and insurance policies after the relationship began will be included. Increases in the value of relationship property or any income from any proceeds from selling it will also be considered relationship property. So what is separate property? So separate property is property of each spouse or partner that is not relationship property. Um, the general rule is that the separate property remains the property of the spouse or partner who owns it and does not have to be divided according to relationship property law. So we're going to just kind of list some things that separate property might include. So property acquired by either spouse or partner while they are not living together as a couple. Property acquired out of separate property and any proceeds of sale of separate property. So increases in value of separate property and income, interest, or dividends earned from separate property. Uh, property that a spouse or partner acquires from a third person by gift, inheritance, or because the spouse or partner is a beneficiary under a trust settled by a third person. And again, this is just a caveat here that unless this property gets mixed with relationship property. So it's important to note here, gifts often by one spouse or partner to the other are not relationship property unless the gift is used for the benefit of both spouses or partners. So um, I think a, an important question that might come up right after this is, can separate property become relationship property? So separate property may become relationship property if it gets mixed with relationship property or used for family purposes. So, for example, a separate property may become relationship property where it is used to acquire and prove relationship property. Also, where the value of one's spouse's or partner's separate property is increased by either the direct or indirect actions of that spouse or partner or the use of the relationship property itself. Or, alternatively, then the increase in the value of the separate property is considered to be relationship property. So we're now going to talk about classifying debts. Um, so debts are separated into two categories, personal debts and relationship debts. Personal debts are responsibility of the person who incurred them. 
Relationship debts usually fall into one of the following categories. Uh, joint debts, um, common enterprise or joint business debts, debts in, incurred to acquire, improve, or maintain or repair relationship property, debts incurred for the benefit of both parties in the managing of the household, debts incurred for bringing up children of the relationship. So the value of the relationship property is that is available to be divided as the total value of the relationship property minus the relationship debts. So whether a student loan is a personal debt or relationship debt will need to be decided on a case-by-case -case basis. So valuing relationship property, how is the value of the relationship property actually worked out? So the general rule is the relationship property being divided under the act is valued at the date of the court hearing. However, the court does have the discretion to set a different date for evaluation if it thinks it is appropriate. If there's any dispute about the value of the property or the household items, it's important for parties to get independent evaluations at that point. So now we're going to be talking about applying to the family court for relationship property order. Um, so first we'll talk about how much does it cost to apply for a relationship property order. So there, it's important to know there is a fee of $700 for filing any relationship property application with the family court. If your case goes to the family court hearing in front of a judge, you will also have to pay an additional fee of $906 for each half day. Um, so this half day in this situation is three hours or half day up, up to three hours. If either party chooses to use a lawyer, they will also have to pay their lawyer's fees, obviously. If you're unable to pay the fee, you can apply to have it canceled in your case. This is called a fee waiver. You'll need to show that you're, you're dependent on a benefit or complete independent on New Zealand superannuation or veterans pension, or that you suffer undue financial hardship if you, have to, if you had to pay the fee. So there's a time limit for applying under the Act. Um, there is a time limit for orders under the Property Relationship Act. In the case of marriage or civil union, you must apply within one year after it is dissolved. And again, this is something we talked a little bit about on uh, previous podcasts. In the case of a de facto relationship, you must apply within three years after the relationship ends. So again, it's just important to remember um, we can't wait around forever. In the case of civil unions or marriages, um, we need to apply one year after it was dissolved. De facto relationships must be within three years after relationship ends. So we're going to talk about now uh, rules for dividing relationship property um, and presumption of equal sharing of relationship property. Um, if the couple cannot agree about how they will divide the relationship property, then one or more of them can apply to the family court for the property to be divided under the rules in the Property Relationship Act. If the relationship has lasted three years, the general rule is the relationship is divided, the relationship property, rather, is divided equally between the couples. At uh, what date are the shares in the relationship property determined? So if the relationship ends, the shares of each spouse or partner in the relationship property are determined as at that date the relationship ended. If the couple are still living together, their shares in the relationship property are determined at the date an application for property division is made to the court. Quite a common question is here, um, how can children be provided for? So the under the Property Relationship Act, the court must have... Uh, have regard to the interest of any minor or dependent children of the relationship. Um, in doing this, the court can do a, f 
a variety of different things. They can award relationship property for the benefit of the children. They can make an order postponing the division of relationship property to prevent undue hardship to the spouse or partner who is the principal provider of care for that child. Um, they can recognize the need for the children to have a home and make an occupation order or tenancy order allowing the spouse or partner who is the principal provider of care for the children to retain possession of the family home. They could also recognize the need for the children to have suitable furniture and make a furniture order granting either spouse or partner's possession and use of specific furniture. So what happens if relationship property has been transfer transferred to a trust? So if a spouse or partner transfers relationship property to a trust, this has the effect of defeating the other spouse's partner's claim under the act. Then the court can can make an order in compensation for one or more of the following ways. Payment of a sum of money to the other spouse or partner out of the relationship property or separated property. Transfer relationship property or separate property to the other spouse or partner. Or payment of income from the trust to the other spouse or partner. So now we're going to be talking about what happens to a couple's property when one of them has died. Um, the best way of thinking about this is that they're really two choices here. So um, the spouse or partner has a choice to, um, to apply for division under the Relationship Property Act. Um, if a surviving spouse or partner makes a claim under the act, this will take precedent over any personal claim under inheritance law. So if there is, um, if their deceased has a will, or again, um, if someone died in intestate um, the intestacy rules in the Administration Act 1969, they'll apply. Um, but again, they, the surviving spouse can always make, has a choice to make a claim under the Act. Um, really, the law here is recognizing that one spouse or partner should not be able to give away the other spouse's partner's share of relationship property in their will. So it's just important to remember that they will have a choice whether they want to apply um, for division of that relationship property under the Act, even if they had a completely valid will. Now we're going to be talking about something else we mentioned a little bit earlier on is um, making your own agreement to divide your property or kind of contracting out of the Relationship Property Act. So um, can a couple contract out of the Relationship Property Act? Um, yes, a couple can choose to share their property differently than how the Property Relationship Act sets out. They can do this by making a contracting out agreement, sometimes known as a prenuptial agreement or prenup, um, which says how they want to share their property. Using a contracting out agreement is the only binding way of dividing property if a relationship ends other than going to the court and having court orders made about that property. When can a contracting out agreement be made? So a contracting out agreement can be made at any time upon entering a relationship during it or at the end of the relationship. Agreements are often used by couples entering a second or subsequent relationship later in life, especially if they have already a have substantial property which they wish to keep as their own separate property. It is, however, important that an agreement is made before the relationship property, marriage, and civil union has lasted three years, as entitlements will change at that point in time. Again, it's kind of for the reasons we discussed in previous podcasts, and again, that, that three-year period is uh, very strict. What requirements must be met for a contracting out agreement to be valid? So there are important requirements that must be complied with if the agreement is to be valid. Um, they are the following. The agreement must be in writing and signed by both parties. 
Each party must get independent legal advice before signing the agreement. This means that parties will need to get advice from separate lawyers. So if you if you if you if you have a family lawyer that is in the past acted for both of you, for example, you'd you'd want to get again independent, and that means independent from each other. Um, get independent legal advice. So two different lawyers. The signature of each party to the agreement must be witnessed by their lawyers. The lawyer who witnesses someone's signature must certify that before the person signed the agreement, the lawyer explained to the person the effective and implications of that agreement. So these requirements are designed to protect the people entering into a contracting out agreement as an agreement has the same effect as a court order and cannot easily be set aside. So here again, it's just saying that this is um, uh, it's going to be um, very, very, very limited situations in which the court, after entering into one of these agreements, will again decide to tear up that agreement and, and go back to, for example, the Relationship Property Act and divide it um, according to those rules. Really, really important. Again, must get independent legal advice. So can the court set aside a contracting out agreement? They can only set it aside uh, contacting, a contracting out agreement if it would result in serious injustice on this of, of a high standard. For example, this might be where an agreement is very one-sided and doesn't allow one partner to share in property acquired during the relationship. So really quickly, we're going to talk about some exceptions to equal sharing of relationship property. So in certain situations, the family court can depart from the equal sharing rules for relationship property. For instance, if equal sharing is very unfair, um, uh, they, the, the quote is repugnant to justice. So again, um, the court can, can again uh, depart from, from these general rules in a, such a situation. Another is if there's economic disparity at the end of the relationship. Another would be if one party owned a home at the date of the relationship began. If the value of one spouse or partner's separate property has been increased, sustained, or reduced by the other spouse or partner. Um, and finally, if the relationship is of a short duration. So if sharing uh, would be unfair or repugnant to justice, so we're just going to talk about this a little bit more. The court can order an uneven division of relationship property where there are extraordinary circumstances that make equal sharing repugnant to justice. This means the equal, equal division would be totally unfair to one spouse or partner. In this case, each, each person's share is decided according to their contributions to the relationship, including non-financial contributions again. The test is very stringent and is only rarely met. These circumstances need to be exceptional to meet this test. Um, so again, uh, we talked about this, mentioned it earlier, if one partner is economically disadvantaged at the end of the relationship. So an uneven property division may, order may be um, made where there's economic disparity between the spouses or partners at the end of the relationship, but only if the disparity is due to divisions of functions within the relationship while the parties were living together. So it's important to note economic disparity means that the income and living standards of one spouse or partner are likely to be significantly higher than those of the other spouse or partner. Divisions of functions within the relationship refers to the way in which people organize their lives. For example, one partner stays at home, looks after the children while the other works, or one partner supports the other while they are studying and gaining qualifications. If one partner has been economically disadvantaged by division of functions within the relationship, the court can decide to make an uneven division of the relationship property by awarding a lump sum to one spouse or partner of the other spouse's or partner's relationship property. 
If the spouse or partner who is in the better economic position has also been able to increase the value of their separate property during the relationship, again, due to the division of functions within the relationship, the court can provide compensation to the other spouse or partner out of either relationship property or separate property. In deciding whether to order an uneven division of relationship property in the above situation, the court can consider the likely earning capacity of each person and the responsibilities of each person for the ongoing daily care of any minor or dependent children or relationship, and, again, any other relevant circumstances. That'll probably um, bring us to the end of uh, today's session. It's, um, again, uh, hopefully this information has been helpful and kind of gives us a general starting point for these, um, these topics. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone have a good holidays and a lovely Christmas. Cheers. Cheers.